Everybody loves the touchdown. Throws to the back of the end zone, and it is caught for a touchdown by Holmes. The grand slam. Fly ball to center field. Ethier has done it again. It's a grand slam. The buzzer beater. Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. Yes! But how did those players get to that moment? And who built the venue and signed the contracts? Each week, we dig into the business side of sports and give you the answers. This is Sports Business Radio. Now, from our studios in Portland, Oregon, with Sports Business Radio, here's your host, Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week in our next segment. It's the Sports Business Radio headlines of the week. Lots of headlines and news and notes there. Tiger Woods has a new endorsement deal. We'll tell you who that's with coming up in our next segment. In segment three, Morgan Spurlock. He's an Oscar-nominated filmmaker. You may remember him from the movie Super Size Me. He's got a film coming out called The Dotted Line. It's going to be on ESPN October 11th uh, at 8 p.m. Eastern time. It's about agents and a behind-the-scenes look at the world of sports agents. We'll talk to Morgan Spurlock about that documentary coming up in segment three. Then in segment four, we dig deep inside the NBA lockout with Ken Berger, NBA insider from CBSSports.com. We know what's happened this week. Preseason's been canceled. Regular season games could be canceled starting on Monday. Will it happen or not? We'll talk to Ken Berger about that coming up in segment four. A couple of other notes. Visit my Sports Business blog. Download the SBR podcast on demand at sportsbusinessradio.com. You can follow me on Twitter at SB Radio. I'm joined by Brian Griggs, our executive producer. Griggs, a bright light in the universe went out this week, and it was... Apple founder Steve Jobs. Really sad, not unexpected, but think of the legacy that he's left. 56 years old, it's just, uh, it's crazy. I mean, and, and like I was thinking on the way in today, it's uh, how many people in America have something Apple? It's, it's got to be almost everybody. I have a MacBook, uh, I have an iPhone. This show is podcast, and many of you listen to us via podcast on iTunes, and it's all because of Steve Jobs. And I could go on and on about the legacy he's left, but uh, he will sorely be missed. All right, coming up, Sports Business Radio Headlines of the Week. I'm Brian Berger, and you're listening to Sports Business Radio. This is SBR, back with more after this. It's the age of new media and citizen journalism. Everyone with a smartphone and a flip cam is a reporter and everything is on the record. I'm Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio, and I team with former Nike executive Lee Weinstein to form media training company Everything is on the Record. With a combined 40 years of experience dealing with the media and helping our clients craft authentic messages, we'll help you navigate the tricky media landscape that exists today. Everything is on the Record has provided media training to pro and college athletes, coaches and executives, as well as to government leaders and CEOs. We'll teach you how to break through the clutter with your messages, and we'll also assist you when you find yourself in crises. It's time for an innovative new approach to media training that best fits the world we live in today. For more information about Everything is on the Record, visit us online at everythingisontherecord.com. Contact us today to learn more about our innovative approach to media training and how we can meet your specific needs. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com. 
It's time, baby. Special news bulletin. At Sports Business Radio, we're always on top of what's happening in the world of sports. And each week, we break down the stories you need to know about. This is Headlines. I want to be in the headlines. On Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. Headline number one, the NBA preseason has been canceled. All of it. Before, it was just the first several weeks. Now, it's all of it. So, on Monday, if there's not a deal, Commissioner David Stern says the first few weeks of the NBA regular season will be canceled. We'll have much more on this with Ken Berger, NBA insider from CBSSports.com, coming up in segment four. But, Griggs, I don't see this getting worked out by Monday just too many topics to try and get done by then, and we've got Yom Kippur this weekend, so uh, Commissioner Stern and several other people will be taking uh, Friday and Saturday off to observe that, so it leaves you with Sunday, unless they extend that deadline. I don't see that they're going to resolve all these issues by Monday morning. Yeah, I agree, and this is kind of when it, it hit the uh, you know the, the the closed door. Like, you feel, this is real now. They're canceling the whole preseason. Now there's the threat of the, the, pre, the regular season getting canceled. And, uh, yeah, it's like it, this week is like, wow, this is kind of a big deal. Hopefully that will motivate the players and everybody to kind of get things moving because that's when paychecks are going to start, you know, not coming. So Well, and I'll tell you this. David Stern is a genius in this regard. His final press conference earlier this week, he gets up and says, well, I think I could sell 50-50 to our owners. So now what he's done, and by the way, it's not really 50-50 because the owners take about half a billion dollars off the top. So, but what he's done with public perception is, to the common fan, they're going to go, hey, that seems pretty fair, 50-50, if the players reject that because they're holding out for 52 or 53% even, now the players look greedy. And as I've said all along, Griggs, the reason they need to get this settled is because the NBA is positioning their players as greedy. So they have their NBA Cares program, they have all these programs where they're trying to promote their players as good guys. Right now, they're tearing that all down because they're saying, look at our greedy players. They won't accept 50-50, and that's bad for the brand of the league. Yeah, I agree with that. And like you said, their, their whole idea is to make these guys look like good guys. Now they're kind of turning on that, so it does kind of deplete the NBA Cares and the other programs where, hey, we're in the community, we're all good guys. Yeah, it, it's going to hurt. I think even when they get this deal done, there's going to be some nicks in the knee you know, down the road because of that. And by the way, there have been players that have already been missing paychecks. We're in the 90-some-off day of the NBA lockout. There are some players that get paid on a calendar 12-month basis. So those players have already been missing paychecks. Our next headline, it shows you how little leverage the NBA players have with other opportunities. Tony Parker of the Spurs has said that if the lockout continues, he'll play for $2,000 a month for a French team, which he co-owns. So, you know, he'd probably be doing it to put some rears in the seats and promote that team a little bit more. But $2,000 a month, Griggs? I mean, I bet you that Delonte West is making almost that much money working at the furniture store that he's working at in D.C. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where some of these guys, if the lockout continues, where they end up, what they end up doing. 2000 bucks to play ball. Um, he must really love the game. Or there's some hidden stories, like you said, part owner. Yeah, there's something there. But what it shows is, you know, the NBA is an organized league, and if these NBA players who are elite players, the best in the world, are looking for other leagues to play in, they can find opportunities, but they're nowhere near as lucrative. Even Kobe Bryant, who has talked about, you know, going and playing for just a handful of games in Italy, you know, he'd be making $3 million, which 
by the way, I'd take it, but Kobe Bryant makes $23 million with the Lakers, so it's a fraction of what he makes in the NBA. So we'll see where this all ends up, but if it is a long-extended lockout, I don't expect the NBA players to have tons of lucrative opportunities that would be anywhere near the amount of money that they make in the NBA. Our next headline, Tiger Woods has lost numerous endorsement deals over the last few years since all of his off-the-golf-course indiscretions. For the first time in two years, Griggs, he signed a blue-chip endorser this week, and it's Rolex. And it's interesting because Tiger Woods, just in the last week, has fallen out of the top 50 golfers in the rankings for the first time in 15 years. So Rolex obviously believes in Tiger Woods still. They believe in aligning their brand with him. They think that not only will he return to uh, form on the golf course, but that he'll stay out of trouble off the golf course. Are you surprised that Rolex has signed Tiger Woods? Not really surprised. However, I think it is a risk. I mean, because Tiger has been so up and down on the golf course, I think he's he seems to be getting off the course stuff figured out. But at the same time, uh, that's a big company. I'm sure it was a pretty big endorsement. And um, you know, they do move watches. Lots of golf people buy watches and Rolex products, but uh, it'll be interesting to see if they have they continue and how it works out for Tiger and Rolex in the end. Well, and really the only other deal that he had in the last two years was with a Japanese heat rub company. So <laughs> that's not really a blue chip deal. So what this deal does, much like Nike when they re-signed Michael Vick, it says the coast is clear to other companies. And now maybe we'll see some other companies re-embrace Tiger Woods after Rolex has done so. Reportedly, the deal's worth five years. So, you know, some people think Tiger still has a chance to break Jack Nicholas's uh, record for majors. He's four behind. And if Rolex is a part of that, then it's a big win for them. Our next headline, Griggs. 5,000 fans are going to be given the opportunity to buy tickets to attend Super Bowl Media Day in Indianapolis, along with the 3,000 accredited media members that will be there. That thing's already a zoo, but here's what I will say. There may be some fans who could ask better questions than some of the media that go to the Super Bowl media. And we've heard that sometimes when we have, you know, you'll see guests that are, are traveling around with media people and they will ask a question that, hey, why did we think of that kind of thing? So, uh, great experience though for a fan. I mean, you got to think those are going to sell pretty quick because, uh, I mean, wow, Super Bowl media behind the scenes, down underneath the, the dungeons of uh, Indianapolis. I mean, I think it's uh, kind of a cool deal. And they're going to give the 5,000 people who buy tickets little headphones and they can hear uh, what's going on at all of the different NFL network podiums and things like that. It's a decent idea. I just, and it will probably sell out. So from that standpoint, it's a good business idea. You're uh, giving access to people that normally wouldn't have that access. But I already think Super Bowl Media Day is a zoo. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. This is going to make it even more (laughs) of a zoo. Yeah, you got fans running around there, 5,000 of them plus the 3,000 media. That could be a little crazy. Well, and you've got people like asking Tom Brady, will you marry me? And think, I mean, what is this going to do with the fans? In the Bringing in the now? signs, the big signs. <laughs> hey, hey, Tom, over here. Oh, it's going to be crazy. Our last headline, the Chicago Cubs have asked for permission to talk to Boston Red Sox GM Theo Epstein this week. And if Theo Epstein were to go to the Cubs, maybe there would be some compensation worked out from the Cubs to the Red Sox as form of uh, player compensation. But, you know, it's interesting, Griggs. If you're Theo Epstein, you went and you brought two world championships to Boston. Is your job there done? Can you do any more in Boston? Now, if you can go to the lovable losers and they're going to pay you a ton of money, do you make that jump? You know, I... 
That's a good question. I mean, I think if you are somebody that wants to, you know, turn teams around, sure, make the jump because hey, what a what a great opportunity to take a team that's not, you know, the best and make it a Boston or something. I don't know. If I were him, I'd do it. He's yeah. already done all he can do in Boston. He'll never buy dinner again there. And if he can go turn around the Chicago Cubs, he will have taken two of the uh, losingest franchise, if that's even a word, in the history of sports and brought them world championships. Uh, that's pretty good in most people's book. Coming up next, it's Oscar-nominated filmmaker Morgan Spurlock. He brought a supersize me, but he's bringing a film to ESPN on October 11th. It's called The Dotted Line. It's an inside look into the world of sports agents. We'll catch up with Morgan Spurlock next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Stay in touch with SBR on Twitter. Twitter.com slash SB Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bull Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. My guest is filmmaker Morgan Spurlock. You may recognize him as the Oscar-nominated director of Supersize Me, amongst many other films. Morgan, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing great. So I'm excited to hear you've got the new documentary out called The Dotted Line. You kind of pull back the curtain on the secret life of sports agents. Tell us about that doc. Yeah, I know. We're excited about it. I remember when uh, ESPN first contacted me when they were doing their 30 for 30 series, and I wasn't able to make one of those movies just based on, you know, timing. And so when they said they wanted to, you know, do another batch of films, and if I would be interested, I jumped at the chance. And when we started talking about ideas, I said, wouldn't it be great to kind of show really what goes on with sports agents, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and they loved it. So what did you find during the documentary? I've dealt with a lot of sports agents. I find it to be a mixed bag. Some are very good. Some are a little bit uh, slimy. What did you find? Well, I mean, I think you've hit the nail on the head. I mean, I think there is uh, there's a little bit of uh, all the above in this business. And, you know, luckily, I mean, it is a business where there's a lot of checks and balances. So if you are somebody who's, you know, a little slimy, a little greasy, a little untrustworthy, word travels fast, even faster now than, than it used to. Um, and I think that what this special does show is that there are people out there who are trying to do right by a lot of these young kids. Yeah, it's funny. After the movie Jerry Maguire came out, so many people wanted to be a sports agent. They thought, what a glamorous life, and this is great, and I get to be around athletics. It's not really like that, is it? It's Well, it's a tremendous amount of work. You know, people think that it's all glitz and glamour, and you're going to the Super Bowl and the World Series, and just as it's difficult for, you know, athletes to reach that level of having, you know, themselves play at the, at the absolute elite athlete level, it's just as hard for, for an agent 
to get the players that are going to be playing at that level. So it, it takes a tremendous amount of work and years and years of dedication. So the dotted line premieres on ESPN and ESPN HD on Tuesday, October 11th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Morgan, when you're looking at doing a documentary, what's the recipe to get your attention to say, okay, this is something I want to be a part of? I, I mean, for me, it's a it's a question of have I heard that story before? Has it been told the way that we would tell the story? Um, you know, what what is our angle of getting into it? And with this one, you know, it's it's something that I'm not on the cam, not on camera at all. It's, it's we're telling the stories of these agents, kind of they go through their daily lives, and I think that. You know, I like the newness of it. I've never gotten to have access. You've never seen that access to real agents showing you how their business functions and operates, and I think that's fascinating. Can you tell us who the agents are that gave you the behind-the-scenes access? Yeah, there's a few different folks. You know, we uh, we speak to David Falk, the guy who, you know, literally created brand Michael Jordan. Right. He was the guy who uh, coined the term and actually got, you know, the first Air Jordan on the market with Nike. Uh, fascinating guy who kind of changed the game of basketball. Uh, Peter Greenberg, who you see, uh, you know, in the film, who through his agency has kind of changed the way um, a lot of Latin American players get into the baseball uh, profession. Uh, Eugene Lee, who's a young up-and-coming uh, NFL agent, who you see him hustling to get his players into the NFL draft as he jockeys for position to get them into one of the top round picks. And uh, and then, we, of course, we talk to the ugly side of the business as well with Josh Lux, who, you know, some folks, your listeners may remember last year, he wrote an article for, for Sports Illustrated coming, about, coming out about how he used to pay players, uh, which is a big story right now that uh, continues to circulate in the NCAA. Yeah, I've had a chance to meet Josh, and uh, pretty insightful and you know, very forthcoming at this point in his life. What yeah. did you learn about the recruitment process? Because there are agents that can spend literally years recruiting an athlete, and then when it gets time for the athlete to sign with that agent, if they go somewhere else, that agent's out tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah, and this is one of the things that we talk about in the show, and you actually you know see happen uh, in the dotted line. You know, you see uh, an agent who invests a lot of time and money suddenly be kind of left at the altar, which is uh, it's a tough place for those guys, but that's the nature of the business. You know, what, what I thought was really interesting is someone like a Peter Greenberg, who he has had such a huge impact with the players he has in baseball. You know, he negotiated one of the biggest contracts in the history of baseball with Johan Santana's contract a couple years ago. Uh, but in, in, in Venezuela, he, uh, he, he works with a couple of schools down there and a couple of camps where they start recruiting baseball players, young kids as young as 12 years old. Or they start grooming them towards the major leagues. I mean, that's an incredible thing to see. Yeah, that's the thing that's really changed, Morgan, is that if you're an agent, you've, you've got a worldwide canvas now. It used to just be you were recruiting uh, prospects in the United States. Now it's all over the globe. And not only all over the globe, but now you know instantaneously you have real results. Like the real-time information that you have, you know, it's just through, through the Internet, through smartphones, through the communication with your scouts out in the field. The world has gotten to be such a tiny place, and you do. You have access to so much great talent. My guest is Morgan Spurlock. His documentary, The Dotted Line, premieres on ESPN and ESPN HD on Tuesday, October 11th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. I'm a big fan of Supersize Me, like oh, a lot thanks. of other people. I was just amazed when I watched that. And <laughs> amazed, it, disgusted, yeah. revolted. I yeah. mean, how did you come up with that idea, and how much has that documentary changed your life? Oh, I mean, that documentary changed my life forever, you know. After Supersize Me, suddenly my phone calls got returned, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I bet. It made a, it made a big difference. Um, no, the whole idea of that film came, you know, like a lot of my a lot of my movie like ideas come from, as I was sitting on the couch, you know, watching a, a story, a news story about the two girls that were suing McDonald's, and that's when we got the idea that, well, you know, a spokesman from McDonald's came on the air and said, well, our food's healthy, it's nutritious, it's good for you. 
And I said, well, if it's that good for me, shouldn't I be able to eat it for 30 days straight? And that was the jumping off point. Yeah, and it changed the fast food industry. I mean, you've got to feel pretty proud about that. Yeah, I mean, anytime you make a movie and not only does it kind of, you know, begin a public dialogue, but can actually have uh, have impact on individuals, on businesses, you know, it's, it's an amazing thing. What are your thoughts about college athletes being paid? Such a big uh, topic of discussion right now. And after doing this movie, do you have thoughts on that topic? Well, absolutely. You know, there's a great article that your that your listeners should read if they haven't yet. It was in it's in this month's Atlantic Monthly, and it's, yep. a, it's a huge spread that talks about just this issue. It talks about you know the current lawsuits that are up against the NCAA, people who are you know coming towards them. Because what's one of the things that I think is one of the biggest problems is once you're not an, a student athlete anymore, that the NCAA still has the right to continue to profit off of your image once you become a professional athlete or once you're once you're a graduate and you're not kind of seen as an amateur anymore. They continue to make money, none of which makes their way to these professional athletes. So at what point does that kind of stop? What time does your clock as an amateur stop and your you know, kind of your fiscal, uh, you know, responsibilities as a, as a professional begin. And I think that that's the real conversation the NCAA should be having. And I think there should be some payments go to these guys, maybe not while they're in school, but at least something that, you know, when they get out, I think there's way too much money at stake. Well, I've said for a long time, I think we're dealing with an archaic system. Agreed. And I, th- I think the the football in basketball at the NCAA level, they need to be broken off from everything else. They are the money generators. They generate the money for tennis and rugby and water polo and soccer, and they need to be treated differently. Those athletes, you know, they're under the Title IX guidance, and I'm all in favor of Title IX. I have a daughter and all of that, but it's a different landscape for those two huge sports. I mean, look, Morgan, when you have multi-billion dollar TV contracts for your conferences coming in, that's right. Isn't it different? Well, that's the thing is right now it's the NCAA basketball tournament that funds almost the entire NCAA. You know, and so all it takes is for these schools to get together and do what happened with football and say, you know what, we're not going to do this anymore, and to pull away. And then suddenly the NCAA has been neutered in such a way that it's going to be problematic for them. So I think that if they want to continue to remain not only relevant but an important part of college sports, they need to start to figure out how they're going to change the system. A few minutes left with Morgan Spurlock. His documentary, The Dotted Line, premieres on ESPN and ESPN HD on Tuesday, October 11th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Most surprising thing that you encountered while making this documentary? Oh, I mean, that's a great question. I mean, I, you know, when Josh Lex started talking about um, how many other agents there are that were doing what he was doing, I mean, it just makes you wonder how many people continue every day to do, you know, what we just talked about, continue to pay athletes, continue to kind of work around the system. You know, you've got basically one person having to police around 15,000 student athletes in the country, you know, on average. I think they're, you know, I don't know how many hundreds of people they have, but it works out to being about one person per 12 to 15,000 student athletes. It's impossible to police that many kids. So I think that, uh, you know, for me, you know, just understanding that that from him, this is something that goes on on a daily basis, makes you realize something has to change. Well, and many of these agents have runners, and runners don't identify themselves as agents. They get to be your buddy. The other thing now, Morgan, is with Facebook and Twitter, you can become friends with people in a real sly fashion, get to know a lot about them just from social media. That's right. And, and we live in a world where so much of the information about ourselves is out there. And if you're just an athlete who's there at school talking to friends online, people can find out quite a bit about you really easily. Do you think the agent industry will change at all in the future or is it the way it's going to be for a while? 
I mean, I can't imagine. I don't know what would change about it, you know, anytime soon. I think that, you know, there has, at least through the leagues, you know, dealing with the agents themselves, there's some level of checks and balances. You know, there is a limit in terms of what they can get of a player's salary, you know, being 3%. You know, most of the agents are, you know, look at the, the big-time endorsement deals as the places where they can really cash in. So, I mean, I don't know where it would change um, unless it's just the level of uh, – unless you start to kind of somehow protect them. I mean, I think the one thing – that you should look at is almost that if you're going to do something, maybe you would change it where a person's agent cannot also be his lawyer, where there's a lot of people who are agents and lawyers in one. And I feel like the problem is a lot of athletes don't read their contracts. They don't know what they're getting themselves into. And they should also have, you know, kind of a separation of church and state. One of my biggest gripes with sports agents has always been that they pay attention to you when your contract is up for renewal because they're getting paid off of that renewal. But in the meantime, they're not really focusing too much on you. Well, I think that that's a, that's a really valid question is, is, you know, how can you make sure that these players become important to them on a yearly basis? So they're not just the guy who's there to cash the check, but the guy who's also there to, you know, help you through hard times, to help you manage your money, to help you save your money. Because that's the other thing is when you have these players that are making millions of dollars and two years out of the league, three years out of the league, they're broke and bankrupt. I mean, there has to be somebody there who's helping them say, listen, you need to be saving for like five years from now when your career is most likely going to be over. Great stuff from Morgan Spurlock. Make sure to check out his documentary, The Dotted Line. It premieres on ESPN and ESPN HD on Tuesday, October 11th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Morgan, a real pleasure catching up with you. Great talking to you as well. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Podcast this show and any other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR after this. If I was just another dusty record on the shelf, would you blow me off and play me like everybody else? If I asked you to- Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Right now, I'm joined on the phone by Ken Berger, NBA insider from CBSSports.com. You can find him on Twitter at KBergCBS. Ken, how are you? All right, Brian, how are you? I'm doing well. I know you're busy, so thanks for taking the time to join me. So, big meetings yesterday. Kobe Bryant was there, Kevin Garnett. At the end of the day, where do we stand? I I see some optimism, but I also see a lot of pessimism. No, there definitely is a lot of pessimism, but I I am probably the most optimistic person. I just think from the standpoint of negotiating, they are really extremely close to a deal economically, and that's really what this is all about. It's the vast majority of this negotiation is on economics. It's about the money. And by my math uh, that I did this morning, the two sides walked into the room yesterday $2.5 billion apart on a seven-year deal. Um, They walked out of the room $900 million apart, which seems like a lot, and it is a lot. 
but they negotiated $1.6 billion away yesterday in five hours. And $1.3 billion of that was a move by the owners from 46% of revenues for the players up to 50%. Now, they have to keep going, and there has to be further discussion to continue to whittle that number down. But I believe ultimately the sweet spot in terms of the percentage of revenues that the players would get is between 51 and 52% based on where they are now. The question then becomes, can David Stern sell to his owners a deal that gives them less than 50% of revenue when they started out from such a, uh, you know, from so far left of the goalpost with their initial proposal? And can Billy Hunter and Derek Fisher sell to the players and the agents a deal that brings them down from 57, which they had in the previous deal, you know, down all the way to 51 or 52? Ken, I thought it was interesting that Commissioner Stern divulged details of the negotiations yesterday and gave out numbers. I heard some of the players didn't like that. What were your thoughts on that? Well, you know, he's done that before. Um, You know, there are certain sidebar, little private side room conversations that crop up in these negotiations from time to time. And at a critical juncture yesterday, that happened. Um, they were kind of stuck on a, uh, a formal offer of a 50-50 split that the owners had made, but really the players viewed that as only 47% for them because there were some expenses, additional expenses being deducted from the revenues first. Uh, so they were kind of stuck there, and at that point uh, a small group developed, uh, I believe if I remember correctly for the owners it was David Stern, Adam Silver, and Peter Holt, the Spurs owner, who's the chairman of the Labor Committee, and for the players, it was their uh, attorney, Jeffrey Kessler, Kobe Bryant, Kevin Garnett, uh, the two highest-profile stars who were there, and Derek Fisher, the president of the union. And they went back and forth, ultimately could not come to a deal, but they were working you know, with a range of percentages for each side. The owners were between 49 and 51 going to the players, and the players countered with 51 to 53. So you can kind of see where this is going. That sweet spot, the landing place, economically and this deal is right in that range. The other thing the owners seem to give in on were no rollbacks in salaries and they've come off the hard cap so that seems to be a big victory for the players. Right and I, the, the system issues were, were tremendously important to the players and you know they, they feel like they, they could not give up it seemed a foregone conclusion that they were going to have to give up something economically in this deal even if you're suspect of the owners uh, you know, pretend, you know, pretense that they are losing $300 million a year, um, even, if you, even if you take them at their word that that's what it is, um, you know, something has to give. And the, the largest expense, although it hasn't been the fastest growing expense in recent years, but it is the largest expense is the salaries of the players. So economically, there was going to have to be some give here. And, the, you know, the NFL players just did a labor, labor agreement. There was some give on their parts. Uh, you know, the NHL players lost an entire season of salary, uh, and 20-something percent rollbacks when they came back. So, you know, this is the trend here in sports, and I think there was a recognition on the players' part they were going to have to give up some, but they wanted to preserve the flexibility that some of these system issues give them. They believe that that movement, uh, more ability, uh, you know, the guaranteed contracts and job security, these were important issues from them that you can't necessarily put a dollar sign on, but that they were going to fight extremely, uh, extremely hard for. You reported this morning that several big agents are going to have a conference call this afternoon. I know the agents sent that letter. They've played a more prominent role. They've said, don't give in to the players. What's the agent's role in this going forward? Well, you know, their role is, you know, they represent 
the players. And it's their job to advise the players to fight for as fair a deal as they can get. And, of course, they have uh, an agenda in this. Everybody involved in this has an agenda. Um, you know, that's just the way it works. Um, they get a percentage of their income from the players. So they're, of course, intensely interested in how this comes out. Um, they also, you know, this group of seven agents, the most ostensibly the most powerful in the, in the sport as a group, represent about 30% of the players, and that just happens to be the number uh, the percentage that would uh, would trigger a decertification vote if 30% of the players uh, opted for that. So there is some clout there, and there is some you know a, a very strong voice from those guys. And there is you know there are going to be some serious reservations from them and from other agents about where the where the players' union is in this negotiation at this point. You know they feel like. Um, when I present to them that the owners moved 1.3 billion, you know their response is, well, they had to. They started off in such a you know uh, an absurd position to begin with that you can't give them credit for that, and they feel, you know, that the the players have given up more than enough. You know, at 54 percent, which is where the players were when they walked into the room yesterday, they were already giving the owners you know about 200 million dollars a year, and that's most of the money they say they're losing. And most people who look at a negotiation from a fair fairness standpoint would think that should be enough. What about Billy Hunter said yesterday, the meetings that we have next could be next month, they could be months from now. Any word on when these two sides may get together again and have more conversations? Well, I think what you're going to see is that the deadline is Sunday night because David Stern said he put a, he put a date on it. The deadline for, you know, he's going to cancel the first two weeks of the regular season on Monday. So... The, they have to have a deal by Sunday. They can't go months without, without meeting. You're going to see and hear a lot of that kind of posturing uh, because this, you know, even though they, they closed the gap to the tremendous extent that they did, that last move in a negotiation, especially with this kind of money at stake, is going to be the most painful and the most difficult for both sides. So you're going to see every chance that they can get to exert whatever leverage they can find they're going to do it. I, I suspect that there will be a meeting as early as tomorrow, possibly Friday. Uh, there will be quiet conversations, you know, throughout the weekend. Although there will be a break for the Jewish holiday on Saturday, but uh, I think by Sunday night, you, you, they're going to have to be, uh, you know, able to say we have an agreement in principle, uh, so that they can avoid the cancellation of the first two weeks of the regular season. We're joined by Ken Berger of CBSSports.com. He's their NBA insider. You can find him on Twitter at KBergCBS. Ken, a lot of fans out there see that the NFL and the players decertified in their battle against owners, and they wonder, well, why didn't the NBA players decertify earlier on? It's much more complicated with the NBA. Explain why it's more complicated. Well, I I think that is a tactic that, uh, first of all, didn't necessarily result for the NFL players in them getting a collective bargaining agreement. It was the fact that they, you know, stuck together as a body, whether they were called a union at the time or not, um, and they used whatever leverage they had to get a good deal. I think, I think decertification at this point, when you're this close to a deal, it has the potential to just kind of start you back at square one. And I think you would lose at this point so much time. If you use the timetable from the NFL case, you know, it was about five or six weeks from the time they, they actually didn't decertify. They de- the union disclaimed interest in representing them as sort of a legal technicality. But um, they, they did that, I believe, on March, you know, mid-March. And it was, 
you know, not until a month and a half later when they got, you know, a ruling from the appeals court. So this is a lengthy process, and, you know, it's not just a matter of whether you decertify or not. There are certain risks associated with it. Um, you give up your right to, to bargain. You give up your right to object to any work rules that the owners would impose at that point because you're no longer a union. And it results in chaos. Um, so I think at this point they've gone this far. You know, they, they lopped off, you know, $1.6 billion of the money that separates them yesterday. Uh, I think at this point the, the better strategy for both sides is going to be to negotiate a deal because ultimately whatever legal strategy you try to impose, it's all going to go back to the room and you're going to have to sit there across the table from each other and shake hands on a deal. And if the players decertify, doesn't the NBA have to open up their books? I mean, both sides have to open up their books. This gets real invasive, doesn't it? Well, it, it, it does. I, you know, if, if, you, if you're involved in an antitrust lawsuit in, in federal court, you know, through the discovery process, you could be required to disclose all kinds of information that you don't want the other side to see. And you're exactly right. The, the NBA has been more, more forthcoming than probably any sports league in the history of labor law with their financial records. But there are still some things that the union wanted to see that they haven't fully seen yet. You know, there are certain transactions when, a, when a, uh, an owner owns the, the NBA team, the NHL team, the arena, the cable network. There are all kinds of things that happen there with the math and the accounting. And, uh, you know, you don't necessarily want to show all those cards. Uh, you want to show the ones that you feel uh, that you have to in a negotiation and get the best deal that you can based on that. A few minutes left with Ken Berger of CBSSports.com. He's their NBA insider. You can find him on Twitter at KBergCBS. This morning I see the report that Tony Parker is going to play in France for less than $2,000 a month. I'm kind of surprised that there aren't more opportunities and more lucrative opportunities for the NBA players during this lockout. Are you surprised by that, Ken? Well, not necessarily. I, I kind of thought from the beginning that that was kind of a red herring. I, I didn't, really didn't see that as much of an option for especially the, the star-level players to make anything close to the kind of money they make over here. I mean, the NHL players had a similar problem when they had their lockout. A lot of them went, went overseas, and, and many of them never got paid. Um, so there are all kinds of issues there uh, related to that. Um, and the fact of the matter is, you know, if the most, if the highest profile, most accomplished player of his generation in the NBA, in Kobe Bryant, if the best he can do is, you know, a six or seven million dollar deal in Italy, um, I'm not sure that's a, a negotiating point or a leverage point for the players, because that Jerry Buss will say, well, you know, I would love to pay Kobe Bryant six or seven million dollars a year. I'm paying him 24. So, you know, if, if Kobe's willing to take a, you know, $9 million pay cut to go play in Italy, why doesn't he, you know, why wouldn't he take a 2 or $3 million pay cut to stay here? So I, I'm not, I've never seen the, the, the usefulness in that. I, I think it's, it's like any other ploy in a, in a, in a bargaining or, or in a negotiation. You know, the threat of it is more useful than the actual thing itself. Last thing I wanted to run by you is, you know, I tweeted this out yesterday. I used to work in the NBA, and I find it really interesting. The NBA spends so much time with NBA Cares and with other programs to make their players look like good guys. In this process, they're positioning the players as greedy, and I think it's horrible for the brand of the NBA. And that reason alone, I would think, if they're this close, they'd want to get something done so they don't have to continue to tarnish their own brand. 
know, I think that's always a problem for a sports league when you're in this negotiation or any, you know, any sports team. If you're in a, you know, if you're in a contract negotiation with a player, the the whole point of that is to badmouth him so you don't have to pay him as much as he wants or he feels he deserves. Um, the one thing I'll say about that, though, is that in this case, I think, you know, the NBA is very image conscious. They are conscious of their players looking good, doing good civil work, doing good charity work, uh, being good citizens. And they have done a good job, the NBA, that is, of making this negotiation mostly about their own owners' losses and the fact that the economy cratered and Stern even mentioned the stock market declining yesterday and that affecting the owners. Um, you know, he's been able to make it about money and, uh, and, and not in a greedy way, just in a way that, that comes across as we, we can't do this anymore. We're losing too much money. Not the players are greedy. And I, and I think that's been a, uh, one of the things that the league has done the best job of in this whole thing is not tarnishing the image of its players so that when you do get a deal, and they eventually will, whether it's this weekend or next weekend or next month, um, you, can't, you don't have to have this healing process and go and explain why you said all these bad things about these players that you're now asking people to pay a lot of money to see. Look into your crystal ball on Sunday night. Do you think they get a deal done? I really do. Um, I, I think it's going to get rocky, and I think there's going to be a lot of, you know, a lot of caterwauling and a lot of uh, complaining and a lot of uh, insistence that we just can't do it. But it just makes too much sense. They've come too far economically. They are right on the cusp. You know, they will collectively lose about $400 million, about 200 each, if they cancel the two, uh, first two weeks of the regular season. Then once you do that, it just becomes a ripple effect. It becomes a slippery slope where then your bargaining position becomes even more hardened because you're trying to recoup that money that you just lost, and then, then your position is out of whack, and then the next thing you know, you've lost another $200 million. You've lost a month of the season, and then it just gets away from you. So I think both sides understand that. Uh, better to better to make one last push at the negotiating table, uh, make concessions there rather than just burn the money by losing games. Great insight from Ken Berger of CBSSports.com. He's their NBA insider. Follow him on Twitter at KBergCBS. Ken, always appreciate your time. All right, thanks a lot. This is Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. More of the show is coming up. It's the age of new media and citizen journalism. Everyone with a smartphone and a flip cam is a reporter and everything is on the record. I'm Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio, and I team with former Nike executive Lee Weinstein to form media training company Everything is on the Record. With a combined 40 years of experience dealing with the media and helping our clients craft authentic messages, we'll help you navigate the tricky media landscape that exists today. Everything is on the Record has provided media training to pro and college athletes, coaches and executives, as well as to government leaders and CEOs. We'll teach you how to break through the clutter with your messages, and we'll also assist you when you find yourself in crises. It's time for an innovative new approach to media training that best fits the world we live in today. For more information about Everything is on the Record, visit us online at everythingisontherecord.com. 
Contact us today to learn more about our innovative approach to media training and how we can meet your specific needs. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com. This is Sports Business Radio. We're back, and the NFL has put out its list of top-selling jerseys in the last year. Coming in at number five, Clay Matthews of the Green Bay Packers. Number four, Troy Polamalu of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Number three, the Renaissance continues, Mike Vick of the Philadelphia Eagles. Number two, Tom Brady of the New England Patriots, Mr. Giselle. And number one, Aaron Rodgers of the Green Bay Packers. You win a Super Bowl, Griggs, and you get the number one selling jersey. So interesting there that two of the top five are from the Green Bay Packers. Three of the top five are quarterbacks. Yeah, you wonder where Aaron Rodgers was on the year before on the list. You know, was he even top five? Does the Super Bowl have that much clout that when you win something like that, you move right into that top five jersey sales. So that's interesting. Yeah, and then two Packers, like you said. Tom Brady, obviously I knew he would be there. Michael Vick kind of surprises me. Although his jersey number seven, it fits him. I don't know why. It just looks good on him. So I can see why people are picking that one up. You know what shocks me is where's Peyton Manning? Isn't Peyton Manning selling more jerseys than Palomalo and Clay Matthews? I guess not, at least in the last 12 months. Someone who wasn't wearing a jersey this week, Griggs, you may have seen the pictures (laughs) on ESPN.com. ESPN has their body issue out if you haven't seen it hope solo buck naked watering <laughs> the lawn can you imagine when they were shooting that because it looks like it was done in a neighborhood it's a front lawn and it's at a house if you're driving down the street and you see hope solo just watering the lawn buck naked i would have probably run into a car and and not been paying attention to my driving yeah there have been some accidents there and i gotta say i, th- I think she looks better in the um, body episode than the um dancing with the stars that's just my two cents you think she's too made up in dancing up, with yeah. the stars yeah plus i mean why have a dress i don't i don't get the point yeah i'm not really watching <laughs> dancing with the stars but yeah i mean i was shocked People complain about sports illustrated and the body paint and the skimpy bathing suits This is nothing. This is the body issue. This is male and female in all their glory. And uh, wow, I couldn't believe that that was put out by ESPN this week. But I'm sure it'll probably be one of their highest selling issues of all time, if for no other reason, because Hope Solo is in it. All right. I want to thank our guests this week, Morgan Spurlock, Ken Berger, our show staff, Brian Griggs, Josh Blank, Jared Melzer, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harrison, Doug Zanger. A podcast reminder. Thank you, Steve Jobs. You can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Click on the iTunes icon on the front page of sportsbusinessradio.com to have our show podcast downloaded to your iTunes every single week. We'd appreciate a review of our podcast on iTunes as well. Follow me on Twitter at SB Radio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week right here on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bowl Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks 
Thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, uh, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. 